0: And we have come in here tonight and there's all kinds of things happening like our world is literally on fire. And we've come in here and none of us are unaware of what's going on and things are crazy and there's never been a more significant time in my lifetime and I would say in your lifetime where we are turning our attention to what God has to say about some good news. And we've come in here to hear from God's word what he has to say about the greatest news that has ever touched down in human history. and the news that we're talking about tonight, the Bible calls it the gospel. Jesus steps onto the scene he says, hey, go preach the gospel. You find Jesus' followers in the pages of scripture preaching the gospel, that the gospel is the gateway for you and I to become the men and the women that God has called us to become. And so tonight when we talk about the good news, what the Bible would call that is the gospel. And so we're kicking off this new series and over the next few weeks, we're gonna begin to break down the tenets of the good news. And here's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see why... We need the good news. We're going to see what's behind the good news. We're going to see why we call this news the gospel, why we call it good news, and how you and I need to respond to the good news. But before we get there, any dog lovers in the house tonight? Yeah, ooh, ooh that's right. Any cat lovers? Okay, we'll pray for you. Just keep it down, okay? You know, they say cats carry COVID, so be careful. Saw that on Twitter earlier. Anyway, uh, so my grandparents, they are dog lovers. and, And a few years ago, they bought this little schnauzer that they call Chauncey. And Chauncey's like the love of their life. I'm like, you know, Grandma, I think y'all love Chauncey more than y'all love me. And so we were all at the lake a few years ago, and Chauncey got in a little bit of a predicament. And here's what I mean by that is that my grandparents, they live out in West Texas. And in West Texas, if you're not familiar with the terrain of Texas, uh, it's called the Permian Basin. That means it was like the bottom of an ocean at some point in time. All right, if you go to the bottom of the ocean, there's not much trees and there's not much uh, divots in, in the bottom of the ocean. Consequently, out in West Texas, there are no lakes, and there are no ponds. You're lucky if you got a bathtub in the house, all right? And so Chauncey has never seen a big body of water. So we go to East Texas to have a little family shindig a few years ago, and we were out there at this lake house having a great time, and we didn't think to put a life jacket on Chauncey. And so the inevitable happens that Chauncey falls into the water. And my grandparents, they're, they're too old to jump in and save her, but my brother wasn't. And so my brother, he dives off this boathouse into the water, Chauncey's freaking out, she's trying to fight for her life, and she winds up just clawing my brother's chest to pieces like she's a little mini bobcat. you know. And then they finally emerge, they get back on the boathouse, and, and everything is settled. The day is saved, the dog was like, you know, that was a little rough. Okay, you'll get that on anyway. But it, you know, joke, sorry, dad jokes. And so the, the dog, you know, she, she, was, she was kind of, you know, frazzled, and my brother was like, I'm the hero. And, and listen, I start there tonight because that is a great picture of what most of us think about when we hear what the Bible calls the gospel or the good news. Right, we'll come in here and we'll hear a message like that, you know, where where it kind of it kind of takes a story like this, and in we'll, the preacher or the guy up here or the lady up here, they'll, they'll begin to say, you know what, that's a lot like the gospel, you know, we we're like Totsie and we have fallen in the water and we don't know how to get through our sin, you know, and they'll be getting fired up, but Jesus, Jesus jumped in the water and he rescued, even though we was clawing Jesus, we didn't want nothing to do, but then we finally gave in because we were drowning in our sin, and, you know, they'll we kind of get fired up about that, and and, and then and then a lot of us. We're like, oh my gosh, I need Jesus. I'm drowning in life and we'll hear a story like that and it'll be connected to the gospel and, and what's happened is that our culture has taken that narrative and it's hijacked it a little bit, when I say a little bit, a lot and what it's done is that it has overemphasized God's love and his salvation work in humanity and for humanity. It has overemphasized that at the expense of the main message of the Bible. And so what happens consequently is that we've concluded that salvation, we've concluded that the Bible, we've concluded that Jesus is all about saving us, and that's not the main point of the Bible. So here's what we have come in here tonight, we've come in here to open up the scripture and figure out if, if Jesus' sole purpose, if the reason why he existed was not primarily to bring about the salvation of mankind, then what is God's Why? Because here's what I see all the time. Like I've been working with with my crew, the millennials and the Gen Z. I've been working with my crew and then the generation behind us almost my entire professional career. And I see this happen over and over again. Like people will come into a space like this and, and I don't know what's brought you in here tonight. Maybe, maybe everything that's happening in life has brought you in here tonight. Maybe you got duped into coming here. Some cute girl was like, hey, let's go on a date. And then y'all showed up here. You're like, this wasn't what I had in mind, you know? But it's like the only place open right now. And so y'all came in and, and, <laughs> and, and, and you're like, all right, I, I'm in. And I don't know what brought you in here tonight, but I see time and time again, people, they'll kind of be drowning in life, if you will. And then they'll, they'll come and they'll hear about how God loves them. And he sent his son, Jesus, to rescue them. And, 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 you know, we'll receive that rescuing. And we think that, you know, God jumps in through his son, Jesus, saves us. He sets us on solid ground. And I see this happen over and over again, that if we stop there or we think that is the main reason why God exists and why Jesus came, then we'll basically just say, hey, thanks, God, for saving me, dap him up, and we'll be like, see you on the other side. And we'll go about our business. And so a lot of us have come in here and you are at that that crossroads moment where you're needing God to step into your situation but listen, God doesn't wanna leave you alone. He, He wants to save you but that he wants to do some more things in your life. And I think that we've come in here as a society and as a Western culture and we have the tendency to grossly misunderstand the reason why God exists and the reason why we have good news. See, the good news, it's for everyone in here tonight. But the good news is not about anyone in here tonight. If you're taking notes that I've titled this message, it's for you, but not about you. It's for you, but it ain't about you. And here's what I want to see. That, here's what I want you to see tonight. I want you to see that God is for God, and then oftentimes we are not for God's glory. And then before we leave here tonight, I want you to begin to get some handles on how you can live for what God lives for the most. Now, the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, it is a fascinating book. Just when you study about how the Bible came together and all the different things and details that had to work out in order for us to have this thing here today, it's incredible. But the Bible, it's made up of 66 individual books written by 44 different authors over the span of 1,500 years. And each book stands independent of itself, but they also are strung together to make one cohesive story. It's amazing. And when you begin to survey the scriptures, you begin to see some themes woven throughout the scripture, and you begin to pick up on the meta-narrative, that means the big narrative that God is trying to communicate throughout history. And one of those themes that we find on the pages of scripture clearly is this theme of God's glory. If you want to know what is God's why, it is his glory, That God exists to bring glory and he works all things throughout the pages of scripture and everything that's happening even today is working unto the glory of God. That God's ultimate purpose behind all that he does is his glory. Now when it comes to God's glory, that's hard to really unpack. Like it's... it's, God's glory really isn't, an, it really isn't a thing. It's not like a, it's not like a you know, pair of shoes. It's, it's not something you can take a picture of and, and then begin to describe. And you can't write a song, paint a picture, and you can't write a story, and, then, and that would all come together to explain God's glory. It's much more complex than that. It's really not an attribute of God's. It, it, if, if you wanna think about the glory of God, it is his essence. That everything that God does is glorious. Scripture tells us that God is Glorious, but it struggles to define, even the Bible struggles to define glory, but we see it splashed on every page of Scripture. That God's glory is the main point of the Bible. And in Scripture, it's it's interesting to me that Scripture has to stretch language to the furthest point of its elasticity in order to give us a glimpse of God's glory. And so you'll find things like, you know, um, it's kind of like God had the hollow of his hand and all the water of all the universe. That fits in God's head. That's how big the brother is, you know? It's kind of like, you know, like the stars, you know, all the stars at night. I mean, a human eye can only see about 2,000 stars, but there's a lot more than that, okay? It's kind of like God just calls them all out by name at night, and names, you know, he's like, hey, come on over here, you know, um, uh, big star and little star and twink, whatever. I-, I think there's real names for them. I couldn't remember it. So he's like, come on out here, and, he, and it's like, you know, they're trying to lunge at the leash of language to describe the magnificence of God's glory, and it has a difficult time. But let me just be real clear that God's glory, let me give you a few things. It encompasses the greatness of God. It encompasses the beauty of God and the perfection of all that he is. And so what we're going to do over the next few minutes is we're going to survey Scripture from creation to completion. And we're going to see this theme woven throughout the the pages of scripture, and so for all of you type A people and you like to take notes, I'm about to take off, all right? So y'all need your seat in the upright position, get your belt buckled, and let's go ready for takeoff, all right? And so if you are wanting to, capture all of these notes we've made them available for you on a digital platform this thing called YouVersion Bible app and you can download that app Uh, you can hit the button and then go to more down in the bottom right corner events and then you find paradigm and everything that we're about to go through will be yours and you can save that and look at it later but I'm just going to rip through these scriptures and so I would encourage you to to not keep up okay here we go Isaiah 43 6 through 7 here's what it says It says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, says the Lord. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory. And so what the scripture has just said is that creation exists for the glory of God. Every planet that we can discover and every proton that we can put underneath an electronic microscope that all exist for the glory of God. Jeremiah 13, 11 says this, I made the whole house of Israel cling to me. Now Israel is like God's chosen people. That, that's his people in the Old Testament. He says, I, I made the whole house of Israel cling to me, says the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. So why did God choose this special people? Why did he make Israel his possession? For his glory. Goes on. Psalm 106 is this Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wonderful works, but they rebelled against the Most High at the Red Sea. And so this is tracking the history of Israel, and they had to come to this Red Sea, and God needed to move mightily on their behalf. And listen, God parted the waters in the Red Sea. And here's what it says. He said that he saved them for God's namesake, that he might make known his power. So God is rescuing his people, even though they were rebelling against him, and he's rescuing them from bondage in Egypt. Why? Why? for his glory. And so what happens is that they form a nation and they become this nation of God's people. They inherit the promised land, but then you just see them go through this cycle of of sin, uh, of rebellion, and of judgment, and of repentance, and then they turn back to God. And then they sin, they rebel, judgment. is just this cycle. Eventually, they wind up exiled. But God doesn't forget them. And here's what he says in Isaiah 48. He, He put it like this. For my name's sake, I defer my anger, For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? Here we go. My glory I will not give to another. There's no joint custody with God's glory. It's all for him. Ezekiel says this. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. And it's not for your sake that I will act. I love that. He says, but, but, but he says, let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded by your ways, O house of Israel. I don't know if he caught that. But what God just said in the book of Ezekiel is that I rescued these rebels. Not because they were rescuable. But because I wanted to bring fame and renown and glory to my name. You jump over the New Testament, Paul picks up on this theme in Ephesians 1, 4. He says this, just as I chose, or just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, talking about Jesus, that we should be a holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And here's why, if you know Christ, why you have been brought into the family of Christ, why God wants to save you if you know him. And here it is, verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And so the scriptures just said that Jesus saves people not so that they can go to heaven. That's not the end goal here. He's not saving you so that you can be a better you. That the purpose behind Jesus' work in your life is so that you will live to the praise of his glory and that will take you to heaven, all right? Before y'all start throwing rocks. And then we see in in the book of Revelation, the book that's at the very end of your Bible, that you see that glory is gonna be a centerpiece of eternity. So if you don't love God's glory, you're not gonna like heaven. Here's what it says in Revelation 21, 23. It says, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. I love that, that in heaven, the thing that will be central is God's glory. So from creation to completion, the main message of the Bible Is the glory of God. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. God is for his own glory. God is for his own glory. So, from beginning to end, the driving impulse of God's heart is to be praised for his own glory. So, So, let me just ask you a question real quick Who does God love more than anyone else in the universe? Some of you, maybe you're already thinking right now, like, well, he, he, he loves me, he loves, he loves people, he loves humanity. If you think that, that the answer to that question is me or people, you grossly misunderstand the scripture. That God loves you, okay, I don't wanna diminish that at all. It's what the Bible teaches, but God loves God the most. And this is an uncomfortable teaching, but listen, the good news is not about you but the good news is for you. Like, like, There's gonna be no mirrors in heaven for us to self-reflect. The, the only glory that we will receive, we'll actually lay down at the feet of Jesus as soon as we get it. And this is such a liberating thing. Here, here's what you need to understand tonight, and I'm, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but you are not the center of the universe. I mean, I mean, literally, we live in the Milky Way galaxy, we're not even in the center of the Milky Way galaxy. We're we're over here, like in the suburbs on the on the, the southwest or southeast side of the galaxy. And, and this grates against what we've been taught most of our life. Like like most of us have come in here and we want that millennial mom God, you know, that just changes her whole life to fit the needs of that child, you know. And, and we want a God that that just just you know adores us and, and we've been taught this idea that like you you're so special and yeah, you are special and, and you're so unique and and you're you're like you're like varsity. And God, man, God got a bargain when he got you, you know? And we kind of, we, we puff ourselves up inadvertently, and this is kind of a, a big teaching in our society apart from Christianity, but Christianity has adopted it. Now, now listen, this doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. He cares about you infinitely. He cares about you so much that he would orchestrate everything that's taken place in your life up until today to bring you to this point and give you an opportunity to join him in giving himself glory. God loves you, but God loves God the most. Now this sounds weird, right? You ever hung out with a self-centered person? Don't look at him, just blink at me if you're sitting next to him, okay? You get around somebody and the worst thing is to get around somebody that's good at something and they know that they're good and you're like, oh, they're so good at that, you know, and then they're just arrogant and then they always got their entourage, you know, like they're, they're, they're hype squad and you're like, yeah, cool, you know, like y'all are annoying. Like I, I have a buddy, his name's Cafe Anderson, lived out in L.A. for a little while and, and I was hanging out with him a few years ago and, and I was like, hey man, what'd you do last week? He's was like, man, I got to take my wife out for our anniversary. And I was like, cool, where'd y'all go? He's like, man, we went to this great place in L.A., but I ran into Bruno Mars out there. I was like, okay, tell me about that. He's like, man, I almost got in a fight with Bruno. I was like, what happened? He's like, well, man, he was just making me mad. You know, he came in with his crew and they're all acting crazy. And and then I see him over there in this waitress. I can tell that she's asking for an autograph. And I can overhear his conversation. And he's saying, hey, stand on one leg for me. Stand on the other leg. Yeah, now turn around. And he's... He's acting as if he's like this, this awesome godlike person, and he's telling this woman to do all of these things. And these guys are kind of like, <laughs> and he's being arrogant. And, and Cafe was like, I seriously want to go over there and just grab him by the collar and punch him. Cafe's from Texas; he's living out in L. A. You know, we got issues, Texas people. And so, anyway, and, and a lot of times when we hear like, if God is for God is God like that, and, and then you blend that with Jesus, and you're like, this this isn't this isn't matching up because Jesus, like, he he's he's selfless. He's humble, uh, he, he's a servant. And so how could, how could Jesus kind of have this bravado? Is this like a hidden, a hidden agenda? Is there an extra book in my Bible? that is there an addendum somewhere that I didn't know about? But, but even in the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus, God in flesh, lives for the glory of God in, the Father. Like He even prays this in John 17, verse one. He says, Father, the hour has come. This is towards the end of Jesus' life. He says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Notice that you and I aren't in that prayer. Notice that Jesus isn't asking for the church to receive glory, because the Bible is about God, it's not about us. And so what you have here is that that Jesus is saying, God, glorify God the son, so he can glorify you, God the father. So is God self-centered? Absolutely. He is absolutely self-centered, and this is good news. Because listen, check this out. If God loved anything else more than himself, if he exalted anything else more than himself above himself, he would be disingenuous, self-defeating, and he would be the chief idolater. And so so what we have is that the very nature of God's perfection and his holiness demands that he put himself above every being and created thing. He's not like Bruno, trying to show off and trying to compensate for some sort of inadequacy and insecurity, right? He's not like that because God has no insecurities. God worships himself because there's nothing higher, there's nothing greater, there's nothing more wonderful to worship than him. It's like he has to. It, it, come on, we, I mean, we know that anything of greatness doesn't have to conceal its greatness, nor does it have to apologize for its greatness. I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon or heard of the Grand Canyon. It's kind of a big deal, all right? And, and so when you go up to the Grand Canyon, it, it's, it's not holding up signs that says, hey, sorry for making you feel small. No. So, sorry for being so grand no, like the, the Grand Canyon, it, it is this picture of, of glory, of holiness, literally. It's this picture of greatness. And it doesn't apologize for its greatness. And when we see something like that, somehow we can, we can go, yeah, that makes sense. But we get uncomfortable when God, who is greater than the Grand Canyon, begins to boast and flex his glory. Listen, the Grand Canyon is amazing, but it is a doodle on the scratch pad of God's creation journal compared to the glorious galaxy that, that he's made, all right? And the universe that he has spoken into existence is fascinating. We don't have time. I just learned the other day that there's, this, there's a couple of planets in our solar system, Saturn and Jupiter. You know that it rains diamonds there? <clears throat> now, welcome to the news report from Saturn and Jupiter. We have a 40% chance of diamonds today, like, the thing that our planet maybe values, I don't know if the most, but we value a ton, is in the gutters of other planets in our solar system. And God is just saying, like, I, I, I've created all these things. I am glorious. And so we've, we've come to God, and, and he does not apologize for his greatness, and his greatness demands Glory. If there is something or someone more worthy than God, if there's something or or someone that that is better or higher or more awesome than God, then we need to sing songs to that thing. We need to read that guy's book. We don't need to waste our time on things that are less glorious. We should just go buy a boat and have fun this summer. But if God is who he says he is, And if he is the glorious creator of the universe and of the galaxy, and he is the intricate designer of your DNA in your mother's womb from from the macro universe down to the micro universe, then he is worthy of every single breath, sacrifice, decision, yes, that you can give him. That God is for God's glory And because he's so magnificent, we're not wasting our time tonight. But it's hard, right? It's really hard to to be like, okay, what are the implications of that? Because you don't just tell someone that's kind of a big deal like that what your plans are for your life, right? You don't you don't say, hey, could you be my assistant? Uh, you, you know, there's some things that, that are some really big implications on your life if if you start really tracking that way. And so uh, what's happened is that we've come in here and we here's here's kind of what we like to do. We like to say, God, would you give me your stuff, but not not really inform what I do with your stuff. And so here's what happens this is recorded in Romans 1 it says since the creation of the world his invisible attributes talking about God God's attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse or we're without excuse when you see the grand canyon you have to think in your mind who dug this big hole Uh, When you see the beauty and the the complexity of how new life comes, and you look at that little child as she's coming out of the womb, you have to think, okay, there has to have been some sort of design. We didn't just shake some juices up inside of mommy's tummy and this came out, right? That, That we can see God through creation. And he goes on, he says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so I don't know if you caught that, but when we were given the chance The scriptures just say when we were given the chance to give God the props that he's due for his awesomeness, we said, no, not gonna do that. And we weren't even grateful for the thing that he gave us. It goes on, it says this. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of God, the glory of the incorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. I always thought it was odd that calves were idols. You know, you ever been around a baby cow? Like, why are we gonna, can we not fashion a lion, right? You know what I'm saying? And so he says, like, you know, we, they made a McCall, their God, I don't get that, you know, let's do something bigger, better. And he goes on, in verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Here's a key verse, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. We are for our own glory. We are for our own glory. That Paul, what he's saying is that we all have this tendency to hijack God's creation and to worship and to glory in God's creation over the God of the creation. So the easiest example is sex. And so we've come in here, and and for the most part, every one of us, we are trying to have sex or we wanna enjoy sex at some point in our life and we like sex. In our culture, sex is a really big deal. If you don't know that, then just open your eyes, you'll see what's going on in marketing and that sort of thing. And so what's happened is that, that God is the, he's the inventor of sex, glory to God. He is the guy that thought it all up, right? And, and so we, we, we love this, we're enthralled with this, but the problem is is that we've hijacked the good gift that God has given us, sex, and we have begun to play this thing out the way that we think's best. Like, I want you to imagine, like, if for the last 50 years, just the last 50 years, if everyone honored sex the way God designed it to be honored, what the world would be like today. But think about your last, your last 10 years. Th- that what God gives, He governs. And what we've said is that God, I, I love your inventions, but I don't like your intentions. And so we steal the things that God has given us that are good things and then we begin to run with those things in a way that elevates those things over God. And, 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 and so what happens is that we, we have this tendency to come in here and, and, and we do this most often, I believe, in our society, the thing that we elevate the most above God is, is us. Like we, we love us some us. Like I love me some me, right? I get some mirror time. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I like my deodorant the way I like it. You know, I like, I like my stuff the way, I mean, I love me some me, and I know you love you some you, all right? Don't look at me all judgy like you ain't about you, all right? I know you about you. And we've come in here as a society, and we've really made this emphasis on taking care of ourselves. And there's a lot of good that comes from that. I'm not trying to bash that. And so you look at Amazon.com and you see that the number one selling department of books is self-help. You go to Barnes & Noble or or, make sure you wear a mask you go there and and you'll see the largest section of books in Barnes & Noble, self-help books. And we talk a lot about self-care and we talk a lot about self-love. And again, there's a lot of good things that come from that. But when you elevate yourself above God, there's a lot of dysfunction that takes place you make a really bad God. And the depth of this dysfunction has, has definitely marinated into the church. <laughs> it's crazy. So what will happen is that, is that well-intended people will take this holy book that is about God and we will use it to elevate the, the, the man. We'll use it to elevate ourselves. And so there's, there's a couple of different ways that you can read the Bible. Uh, one way is that you see it as kind of like spiritual GPS, right? And so you have a destination in mind and, and so the destination is like, I want to get married someday. And so you start looking here, and you're like, should I marry David? No, uh-uh. What about Matthew? We don't know a lot about that guy. Let's go with Mark. We'll meet Mark at the coffee station when that comes back, right? And so we start looking in here. We, okay, I'm wanting to go out this weekend. How many beers should I have? And we think, okay, 1 Corinthians, it's talking about meat and idols. What does that have to do with alcohol? We'll make a decision. And we'll think, okay, I, I wanna have this career. Is that career, so fishing, I see that career. Uh, there, there was, you know, the, the Pharaoh thing. I like that, let's do Pharaoh. And so, you, you know, you, you begin to j- justify some things and, and you see it as kind of GP yes to life. Now, there are some maps in your Bible. They're typically at the end, but they're only going to help you in like Lebanon or Iran or that sort of area. They're not going to help you in the Midwest, all right? And so don't go there thinking that's going to help you get where you need to go. And so what happens is that we read the Bible and we put ourselves into the Bible as we are the main character of the Bible. And so we'll we'll hear sermons. We'll get fired up. You know, we'll hear sermons. The easiest example is, is David and Goliath. And so you'll have a guy like me, or you know, up here with a mic, and they're like, you know, the story of David and Goliath, you don't know that story, it's like the OG underdog story. And so David was a runt, he slays a giant, and, and so a preacher would be like, and, and you are David, and you've got some giants in your life. You may have the giant of death, you may have the giant of doubt, you may have the giant of dysfunction, but oh God, he's given you five stones, the number of grace, and you put those stones in your slingshot, and you throw them, and you slay that giant, and you be that David, and you go out there, and then you cut that head of that. Dysfunction or that debt that, or that, that, this, that whatever off, and you hold it up like you brave heart. Ah! Right? And so we go out there and we're like, about to David this life. That's not the point of the story. That this is foreshadowing a greater David to come. That the hero of the Bible is not you, it's Jesus. And so, if Jesus is the greater David in this story, then and Goliath represents our sin. Who are we in the story? We're the Israelites. They were like, man, that brother, he's big. I don't know. I can't do this, you know? We need, we need some help, right? And we are the ones that desperately need a Savior. And so we've come in here and oftentimes we have the tendency to twist the scriptures and make the point of the scripture about us so that we can be a better us. And so we'll hear the good news and we'll think that Jesus exists to make me a better me. And we think that, that salvation has come so that we can, we can arrive to our destination in life and be that entrepreneur or have that marriage or be that person or whatever it is. And we start thinking that a relationship with Jesus is about us. And so we we have this, I know we do this. And we come in here and, we, and, and we'll do this. We'll celebrate our progress. And we'll be fired up about how much scripture we've read or how much spiritual things we've done or lack of sin we've done. But we'll barely praise Jesus. So Chauncey, she fell in the water. My, that that, that uh, little dog that my grandparents have that they love. You know, she fell in the water. My brother saved her. And so when all this happened, like there was commotion. We heard the dog and she was, you know, going, but not really and um and my grandparents are like oh my goodness and they got they got a towel and when my brother got up there I mean he is soaking wet his chest, his chest is clawed to pieces and my grandmother busts through the door of the boathouse and she's like oh Chotsy! and she throws the towel around the dog doesn't even recognize my brother's salvation And goes in and begins to dote on the dog, are you okay, oh my gosh, we thought we loved you, I mean, we thought we lost you and we love you, all this stuff, and and listen, they thought the dog was the main character of the occasion. And I share that with you because that's a great picture of what we do in the church so often. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting, we make one decision to pray a, a short prayer, he comes in, gives us a new heart, and then we celebrate you All the while, Jesus is over there soaking wet with scars on his chest saying, what about me? And Jesus is the hero of the good news. That the only reason why we have the good news is because God is good. And we think that Jesus was just a necessary component to our development, and that's gross, that's ungodly. And that will lead you to think that you're Christian life or your relationship with God is all about you. Now, if you think that salvation is about you, there's some warnings that I want to run you through real quick. That if you think salvation is about you, you will either leave a church or you will love a church based upon how it makes you feel. If you make salvation about you, you will base your lovability On your performance, like when I'm doing good and I am righteous and I'm not looking at things I shouldn't look at or doing things or smoking things, whatever it is, God must really be pleased with me. He must really love me more today. But when I slip into this thing and I don't perform like I should, then he must be kind of like, you know what, I'm really disappointed about the numbers you're putting up. And we think that our lovability is based upon our performance. When we think salvation is about us, we won't pray, we won't read the word regularly, Because we don't want to admit that we really need God every day. we like, God, you got us out of the water and on the dry ground. I'll see you next time. When we make salvation about us, we feel like God can't use us because we've sinned too much. Listen, get over yourself. You're not so awesome that you don't need God. And you're not so awful that God can't use you. Salvation is not about your glory. It's about Jesus' glory. If salvation is about you, you will consume Christianity instead of contributing to Christianity. And you'll consume so much, and I've been there before, where you'll come to a place and you'll never get in the game and you'll never contribute, and so in your consuming of what you are doing, you become cynical and critical towards the things that are being done for you. Because it's about you. If salvation is about you, listen, you'll be disappointed with God. Because the God that you have submitted your life to and received salvation from is not the God of the Bible. It's a God of your own invention, and he will grossly or she will grossly disappoint you. That the point of the scripture And the point of us reading the Bible is that it is about God. This is not a book primarily about your salvation. It's a book about God's glory, and, and listen, like, this is a tough pill to swallow, and it's hard to be like, okay, well, what does this mean for my life? And is this even a good thing, you know? And so we'll hear a message like this, and we're like, okay, all right, well, um, that was different. And, uh, you know, and we'll come in here, and we'll listen to that, and we're like, okay, how can this be a good thing? And what, is this, what does this look like? Like, why is, I thought this series was called Good News. I thought it was good news. We should share it, right? And so, like, how do we begin to play this out in our life? And listen, when you understand that God is for God, and he's not all about you, but he loves you infinitely. It has the ability to change your life practically forever. Psalm 16, says this, in your presence, talking about in God's presence, in his glorious presence is, watch, fullness of joy. And in thy right hand or in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That God is for God, but when it comes to you, God is for your absolute pleasure and joy. And he wants you to have something that is much deeper than happenings. He's not talking about God is for your happiness. God would rather see you holy than happy. And sometimes things will happen in your life that are not happy things in order to shape you into being a holy man or woman of God. That God will allow you to have this pleasure in him and this joy in him that is not based upon pandemics, that is not based upon prejudices, that is not based upon problems in life, but is deeper than those things that will allow you to have an anchor in the midst of troubled waters. And God wants you to have these things and this fullness in him. Like, listen, if God would give us us that which is best and most satisfying, that He would give us His love perfectly. He would offer us Himself, His complete, His His whole, glorious, good self. That the thing that God's trying to offer you and I is Him. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, you write this down: the gift of God. The gift of God. See, the greatest gift that God could offer us is himself. And the good news is that God wants what he enjoys most for you, and that is himself. Because God loves himself most, and because he loves us, God is after us to give us what is best. That's not fame, that's not finances, that's not a a relationship or a marriage, that's not even health. But he wants to give us an opportunity to give our life In worship of him, that we may glorify God most by enjoying and worshiping him. So I remember I was like 20 years old, I began to hear this teaching, and I was like, oh my goodness. Like I'd grown up like in the, in the heyday of student ministry, you know, early 2000s, and, and we went to awesome camps that were custom and catered for students. And, and what I was taught most of my life when I went to those places is like, God loves you, he has a plan for you, and we're here to help you. And, and those aren't bad things, but I didn't have a big enough vision. And so my vision for salvation stopped at me. But when I heard this, I was like, oh, this, this opens up a whole new world of how I can experience God. And I began to understand that, that the thing that I was created for, I was taught most of my life that I was created for fellowship with God, that God, he wanted to, to make mankind because he was kind of bored with the whales and the eagles and the universe and the planets and stuff. And so he made us so that we could have fellowship with him. But then we rebelled on him. That kind of backfired on God. And I, what I learned is that we were not made primarily for fellowship with God, but we were made for worship. And I see this. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert. Your heart just erupts with excitement and maybe even tears. Or if you ever? if I went to a ballet dance with my, my girls. They danced in this thing this weekend. And I found myself in the opening song. I was like, oh, my goodness, why am I crying, you know? And it's just it, I was moved because there's something inside of all, of all of us. You go to a Chiefs game, hopefully, and you'll see, like, God is, I mean, he's put inside of man, the, I mean, grown men painting their bodies and, and like, ah, you know, we're going to win again and that sort of thing. And, and we see this heart for worship inside of every man. But that was meant to terminate on God. C.S. Lewis says this, that the world rings with praise Lovers praise their mistresses, readers, their favorite poet, walkers, praising the countryside, players, praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wine, dishes, actors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains. I love this one. Rare stamps, rare beetles. You know, those awkward things that people are into. Even sometimes, and he's kind of humorous here, politicians and scholars, What he's saying is that worship isn't some quiet, reverent, somber. That's a part of it, but that's not exclusively what worship is. That worship is oftentimes just the sheer enjoyment of that thing, and we were created for that. And so you'll hear these coffee cup verses in the church, like 1 Corinthians 10, that says, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do it for the glory of God. What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? You pray over this? I mean, what do, you, what do you do, right? And so I begin to understand what it looks like to worship God in everything that I do. Look, there's two ways to enjoy creation, all right? I think sometimes we'll come in here and we'll, we'll kind of act like, you know, pagans is just a Bible word that means outsiders. We'll be like, pagans don't have good sex, only Christians do. Pagans, they don't ever eat good steak, only Christians do. You come to Jesus, life's gonna get real exciting, you know, we kind of like say that, that, that somehow if you don't know Jesus, you can't enjoy the common graces of God. That's not true. And so God has given so many good gifts just to the world. And people who don't know God, they can enjoy the things that he's given. But what happens is that they, they enjoy those things as an end and of themselves. And the point of everything that God has made is to point to something greater. Like the point of everything that God has made is to, is to give him glory. To say it another way, that the way you give glory in all things is that you use all things as a means to the end of his glory. And so when you know God, listen, you have a right relationship with the creator of everything that you enjoy. And so everything that you enjoy now becomes an opportunity to give him praise. C.S. Lewis, he says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Listen, what this means is that God doesn't need you to worship him, but he extends to you an opportunity to join him in the glorious occasion of giving him praise. He's not after your begrudging submission. He's trying to invite you into this this eternal ecstasy that he that he experiences in and of himself. And it's from that place that God created all of us and everything that we know. And tonight he's inviting us to join him in giving him glory through experiencing those things. C.S. Lewis he goes on to say if it were possible for a created soul fully to appreciate that that it is to love and delight in the worthiest object of all, being God and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme beatitude. Just a big word that means blessing. He goes on, it says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. One theologian said that the chief in man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And he went on to say this, that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I don't know if y'all been outside lately, but it's just a special time of the year. And we're from the south, and so I think the mosquitoes are so big that they eat all the fireflies down there. And we don't have fireflies like we got up here. And for some reason, in our backyard, fireflies, it's hopping back there. It's club firefly in my backyard, all right? And so here's what, I, what we've been doing. I, I'll go out there about this time at night, and, and, and fireflies are just flickering everywhere. And they're amazing. They don't bite you. They just kind of slowly fly around. You can catch them and then pet them, and they'll light up some more. You know, it's It's awesome. And so I go out there, and then God made, um, he, he made people to live in Monterrey, Mexico, and and there's something down there, uh, like a mineral well or something, and they they bottle Topo Chico. Y'all ever had Topo? Ooh, yeah, with a little twist of lime or twist of grapefruit. And so, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's this glass bottle. just the texture's good. It's cold. It's got just not too much lime, not too little lime. It's right there. It never loses its fizz. It's mineral water. It's low in fat, low in sugar. It's good for you. It's enjoyable. I got fireflies flickering out there. I got Topo Chico, and I got my bae right next to me, y'all. My wife, the woman that, that's given her life to be in a relationship with me. She's my best friend and my fantasy. We get to sit out there, and as the sun is setting, as the fireflies are flickering, and as the topo is bubbling, and as me and my wife enjoy rich friendship conversation, God is the mastermind behind it all. And so we'll slow down in those moments. Those moments are gifts of God in which we would use those things as a means to the end of his glory. And so you leave here tonight and you can join in the purpose of all existence and that is to glorify God. I wonder, do you enjoy God like that? You can't really enjoy someone that you don't have a right relationship with, right? And so some of you are here tonight and maybe you have a right relationship with Jesus, but you've never really heard this unpack for you and now it's time to engage in your relationship in a new way. Others of you, you, you can't experience God through what he's given you because you haven't first experienced the love that he has for you. Yeah, God is for God and, and the thing that he's given, the catalyst for you to become a glory giver to him is this thing called Salvation. And God loved you so much that he didn't wanna leave you as a glory bandit, as a rebel, but he wanted to invite you into the greatest relationship one can ever have, and that is a right relationship with his maker. So that you can see the centerpiece of glory in heaven forever. And the way you can know that, God, is simply by you admitting that you are a sinner. You may be drowning tonight. There may be some despair, some anxiety. You may be coming in here and you think, man, I'm, I'm not lovable. But the good news is that God loved you so much that he didn't want to leave you in your sin. But he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, raised from the grave, and to invite you into joining in giving him utmost glory. And you can do that tonight. I want to invite you just to bow your head. Close your eyes if you want to. I just want to ask you a couple of questions and we'll get out of here. Do you know God like that? Do you know a great, glorious, wonderful God? And if you do, how are you actively giving Him glory with your life? What common grace things has God given you that you enjoy every day but you bypass the opportunity to give Him praise? In the recesses of your heart, just underneath your breath, to say, Thank you, God, for this moment. And if you don't know God, why not begin that relationship tonight? Uh, Some of you are joining us online. There's a host, his name's Noah. He would love to have a conversation with you. Just throw in the chat room. I'd like to talk. Maybe y'all can strike up a conversation and respond to the message tonight. And for everyone else here in the room, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a doxology. And doxology is just a big fancy word that means praise and we're gonna declare with our, with our lungs and with our mouths that God is worthy and then we're gonna go live in light of that declaration Lord Jesus thank you so much for tonight God I thank you for my friends I thank you for the good news that you've come to bring God I thank you so much that, that you are not uh, anywhere even close to me that you are so much more God, that you you are so worthy of every sacrifice, every suffering, every celebration. God, you are worthy of it all, that you're working all things together for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. And so God, I pray that we would acquiesce and we would follow after you and chase you and be glory givers, not glory takers. Christ's name.